with everything you do, do it all your heart. Yes. So uh, you do it all your gusto, all your enthusiasm, all your strength. Nothing's half done, half done. You have to do it with all your strength. You know, if we did everything like that, Spirit of excellence. Raise the bar. You do it all you have. I heard a story when I first got saved of a great evangelist that long before he was well known or on television or was in and he was clean. One day his boss came in and well he did such an excellent job and he looked underneath the toilet. He said, you know, why do you walk why is the underneath the toilet as clean as the top? He said, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm not doing it for man. I'm not doing it for providence. I'm not doing it for uh, Wayne. I'm not doing it for your approval. My God, I do it for God. He inspects the fruit. He's the one that's going to come back and say, hmm, let's take a look at Jessup. Let's see how you're doing. Let's take a look underneath the toilet and see how clean it is. It's God that inspects. It's God that judges. Actually, a matter of fact, he judges to the point where I'll stand before him someday and he'll inspect me. Yeah, think. I don't know. Sometimes we think we just got a free pass to heaven. Amen. You may want to reconsider and read the Bible again. You work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Think about that for a minute. Why would I work out my salvation in fear and trembling? Ponder that for a minute, Wayne. Mm-hmm. I think I would work out my salvation with... Jumping jacks and twirls. Woo, I'm saved. Fear and trembling. I'm going to leave that up to you to find. I really don't have the answer. All I know is that it's serious. It's serious. Why is it so serious? Let me tell you why it's so serious. Because there's billions of people that don't know the truth. Matter of fact, the Old Testament says the mouth of hell is enlarged. That's what it says. It's enlarged to take in the people. Unbelievable. So it is serious business. To the point that someday Jesus will look at me. You know, this is amazing, Wayne, the criteria of heaven. This is amazing. When I stand before the Lord, which is for every human, this is everybody, right? Everybody, right, sister? Everybody. This is my except. No one gets a free pass, you know. Well, I'm, woo. Wow. No, he says every one of us is inspected. And what's amazing to me is that when I get to heaven, I mean, I, unless I'm just kidding, unless this is just a, a gross misinterpretation of the Bible or maybe someone changed the translation, I don't suspect that's true. This is what it says. When I stand before the Lord, he'll say to me one of two things. One of two things. Chad, wow, your book was great. God, I loved your book. It just was right by my nightstand every night. Wow, your website was fantastic. A great graphics. Wow, and you could sure speak well, and wow, you could prophesy. Boy! Could you ever prophesy? Man, I loved your 40-day fast. That really impressed me. That just was impressive. And I just loved all your works and all your Christian things. And God, you could sing like a lark. Oh, you could carry a note. Come on in. You're just so impressive. You're such a good Christian. Boy. Is that, was that the amplified version? Which version? Was that the non-improved version, NIV? Which one was that one? Maybe that was the postmodern 21st century contemporary Christianity one. Have you read that Bible yet? Woo, it's worse than the Jehovah Witness one. Anything goes. It's worse than the Book of Mormon, man. Oh, man. No, what it says is, Chad. Well, you know what? Actually, Keith, he won't call me Chad. There's a hidden name on a stone. So I'm not sure what he'll call me. Maybe a Chadwick, Chatterbox, something like that, something. I don't know. Maybe he'll call me 
faithful or something. Maybe he'll call me good. You know, the Lord told me something this year. He said, Chad, there's only one person I called good in the New Testament. Only one. Would you like to know who he is? Then you'll know the standard to live by. I said, oh boy, yes. I did. I caught my breath. One man he called good. Now, your first answer is Jesus. Incorrect. Someone tried to give him that accolade, and he refused it. Good master. No, none but God. See, he was in the, a point of total, complete. See, there's only one person in the New Testament, one, only one called good. You know the criteria of being called good? He crossed the street. He crossed the street and poured in the oil and the wine and him left for dead. And Jesus called him good Samaritan. Wow. See, the, the standards of heaven are so different than ours. I look at Christian, Christians and I view them as good because of their books, their amount of conferences they do, their, you know, their, all, their resume, their, their accolades, their recommendations. But you know, none of those will stand in heaven. Not one, not one. There's no trophy case in heaven. There's no Super Bowl rings. There's no NBA final rings. There's no Olympic gold medals, silver and bronze. The only thing in heaven is what we've done here. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in a nursing home, you visit. Oh, I'll never forget that face. Look at those cheeks. Oh, I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. When I was in the jailhouse on a DUI and domestic violence, you came, you kept coming. I'll never forget you. Come on in. This is all for you. Or he'll say, I was naked and you never clothed me. But Lord, that's going to be the most infamous words in heaven right there. But Lord. It's going to take probably thousands of years just to get through the but lords. But Lord. I prophesy in your name. I've got two widely read books and two released this year. Lord, wait a minute. I sat at your table. Matter of fact, I had reserved seating. Matter of fact, I was one of those 100 that gave a lot of money. And they put a rock with my name on it, you know. That was me. I'm in the credits of the book. Hold on here. I don't recognize you. never seen you in my life. God. I would rather the Lord say that to me now. Such a good and gracious God. I'd rather him search me and know me, oh God, see if there's any unclean thing. I mean, I'd rather him just search me now and just leave me in a puddle that I could make it right and say, oh God, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I'd rather have him inspect the fruit now, boy, than to have to stand before him. Man, I realize the only reason I'm still around because I crossed the street. That's the only reason. You think I'm still around because I prophesy? Everybody does that now. In the 90s, it was kind of novel. <laughs> it's just everywhere now. It's books and all, there's so many books you can't even count. Websites, they're old news. Facebook's replacing those. I mean, it's just nothing. Nothing, would, nothing, nothing is, makes me anything. Except, first of all, I'm God's son. He loves me. But secondly, I'll cross the street. That's what gives me any relevance. I'm telling you right now, I'll cross the street. Isn't it amazing that I spoke this the other day. It's a church. I said, success is this and this. Just remember this. Success is this and this. Success in your life, success in your marriage, success in your church, just success in anything but primarily your walk with the Lord is this and this. It can literally be determined by two or three feet. Peter, throw your net on the other side. Lord, we've, come on, man. What's going to change the outcome by five feet? Uh, well, we tried to, at another church, we tried to measure it. How big is a, how wide is a common fishing boat of that era? Someone guessed eight feet, seven feet. Okay, throw the net out. That's another 
eight feet. Now you got 16 feet. Now change it over here. So 21 feet, 20, 22 feet to determine failure and success. Nothing and abundance. Throw your net. One account says throw your net on the right side. It's really interesting. One says on the other, but the other account says the right side. Now that really intrigues me. The right hand of God comes all of his benefits. It's the right hand of God. Those on his left are judged. Those on his right are blessed. So he says, Peter, throw your net on the right. You look up the Greek word there. It means the universal plan of God. In other words, what God was saying to Peter is, dude, you got it just a little wrong. Get into my plan. Do it my way. Even if it seems silly. Naaman, go dip seven times the Jordan. You'll be healed of your leprosy. What? That's stupid. Well, just do it. What do you got to lose? Throw your net on the other side. Peter, launch out in the deep. From the shore to the water was the distance of success or failure. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's this and this. If you're not having success in your ministry, if you're not seeing the impact that you desire, and if you're not, listen, I want to say something. Just listen. If you're not, it should trouble you. You shouldn't just accept it. Can you imagine uh, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks who's a born-again Christian? They said they, he would never quarterback. He's shorter than Drew Brees. They said you'll never. he has to hike the ball 10 feet, remember? Success. He has to hike the ball 10 feet further because his line of sight, he can't see over the line, the big dudes. Yet, because of Jesus, he has outreach ministries in Seattle. He does mission work. They said he could never do it. It was this and this. Are you with me yet? But what I'm trying to say, can you imagine if he accepted, well, it's just not God's will that I'm successful and I'm not having any impact and I'm not making any progress just because it ain't God's will and I guess I just got to accept that. Are you kidding me? This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, I reach forward to what lies ahead. I strive. People say, don't strive. You shouldn't strive. I strive for the upward call in Christ Jesus. It's unacceptable not to have an impact. It's unacceptable not to reach our cities. It's unacceptable to have crime rates that are skyrocketing, drug addiction, methamphetamine, kids in jail, the largest population of incarceration in the world. It's unacceptable. And until the church makes it unacceptable, it will not change. But you know what permeates the air right now? I'm just telling you in generalizations all over this America. Oh, praise the Lord. It's okay. Praise God. Sovereign God. The Lord's got it all under control. The other day, the Lord just woke me up like an alarm clock. He said, how will they know? Whoa. Excuse me? <laughs> how will they know? What? How will they know? I said, is that a Bible scripture? <laughs> what is he trying to tell me? Romans 10. How will they know? How beautiful are the feet, even mine, of those that preach the good news. Amen. How will they know, Chad? It is not sovereign, mysterious God that just leads everyone to salvation. No, he passed the baton to you and he said, the things that I do, you shall do, and even greater. Wow, that should excite you. If he can feed 5,000, you should feed 10. If he can raise three from the dead, you should raise 16. If you stirred a hornet's nest, and he stirred a hornet's nest, you should stir two. <laughs> if he carried a cross, you should carry three. Because <laughs> you can do greater. But what has to happen first right now, I can feel it. I'm just prophesying this into the region. Things got to become unacceptable. If my kid got an F on his report card, it's unacceptable. What am I doing wrong? What can I change? If the streets are rampant with crime and the numbers are diminishing and the impact is lessening, it's unacceptable. Search me, oh God. Show me. Fix me up. Tighten me here. Tighten me there. Get me gone. We're the tin man right now. We're, you know. 
you know, and God wants to oil us up and get us back on the yellow brick road, get us back on track. But we've got to get some righteous indignation first. We've got to get, no, this is unacceptable. And I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in the right place. If this isn't working, let's try it over here. You know, that's what the principle we applied on Saturday. We tried it over here. Hmm. Just me and you, Wayne. So let's go. What should we do now? Hmm. Let's try it over here. Bam! Fruitfulness, power, God, glory, impact. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Wow. And you know what's humbling about all this? Is that we had nothing to do with it. If I would have processed it or thought it out or analyzed it or organized it, I would have never went there. I would have went there or there or this or that. But we got to get the mind of Christ. And he's given us hints in the Bible of what it is. It's from Genesis to Revelation. It doesn't take a brain scientist, man. Give to the poor and you lend to the Lord and he will repay. I brought that word to California in 2007, six months before the bubble burst. Everyone thought I was nuts because I prophesied a famine was coming, but I knew the way out. I knew the way out. The way out was the poor. It's the paradox of heaven. It wasn't just flourishing and, 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 and loving the excessiveness of, of God's blessing. The only reason we have an excess an overflow is to give. But if we, stop, if we stop giving and stop doing and stop reaching, then that overflow begins to diminish until it's just a trickle. Listen, folks, listen to me. Church of Jessup, everywhere. I'm not picking on you. Everywhere. If all you've got's a little left, consider thy ways and say, Lord, show me. Like Keith so eloquently said, it's the kingdom of blessing. So if you're not being blessed, just, just, it's not wrong to say, hey, you know, what am I doing wrong? Or where am I missing the mark? Where am I? Just show me, Lord, I've been working all night long toiling and we've taken nothing. Well, do that. Oh, but Lord, I already, I already own the t-shirt for that one. I've already done that. Well, try it again. See what happens now. Oh, man. Praise God. Let me give you some encouragement. I just want to throw something out there just to give you some hope and, and encouragement uh, from some voices of the past. Let me just give you a paragraph here. Amy, Amy Simple McPherson started a church called Angelus Temple in 1923. It still exists today. Now they run the Dream Center. I've got the privilege to minister the Dream Center many times. Big monstrosity was a hospital. And now they've converted in uh, like 800 rooms, all for ministry now. No, 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 hold on now. Not 800 rooms for prayer and fasting. <laughs> With pretty curtains, and we all go hide away in there and listen to Jason Upton. Just kidding. I'm just, hey, I love Jason. I'm trying to make a point. No, there are 800 rooms of hospice and intervention and outreach. And, and oh, man, it's filled 24-7. If you want to get a glimpse of success, send a team over to the L.A. Dream Center and say, can we take a tour? And you'll come home like, oh, my God. Now, you could never duplicate that here. It's far too big. But you could certainly mirror it. Their ideas, their incredible Tommy Barnett and Matthew Barnett and unbelievable there's not an area of the city they don't reach from aids oh you'll love this one clayton is one of the ministers there clayton shared a testimony once he said we got a call from the the lapd the chief of police and he called me one day about this well this was two years ago so two years four years four years ago and the chief of police called pastor clayton at the la uh, la dream center and he said who what psychologist do you have on staff? We'd like his name. You know, what his credentials are. They said, excuse me? Psych we don't have a psycho. You, are you sure you don't have a... I mean, we want to use him, possibly. Why? What do you, why are you asking? 
Well, you know that red light district? All that prostitution that's been happening there for 40 years has been one of the worst places in L.A. It's one of the places that's impenetrable. We can't reach it. We can't change it. All we can do is put handcuffs on them. Nothing ever changes. But since you guys have been handing out roses and boxes of candy and ministering there, there's no red light district no more. There's no prostitution and no crime in that area anymore at all. Who's your psychologist? What's your methodology? We'd like to do, do it in the jail. Clayton's just a simple dude. <laughs> oh, our Dr. Phil, Oprah, you know, and I don't know what he, you know what he, he said is Jesus. We preach Jesus and we love them. We love them. And it's completely eradicated crime and prostitution in the red light district in L.A., in that specific area. Wow. I remember in Honolulu, there was a place called Motel Street. I was on TBN, and they, they asked me about revival, they interviewed me about revival. And I, I just said something just out of the side of my mouth. I said, well, if you really want revival, meet me on Motel Street tonight. Well, Motel Street's one of the worst streets I've ever seen in America. I've been in Hell's Kitchen in New York. I've been in Chicago. I've been in Skid Row in L.A. I've seen some bad streets, man, bad. And this is one of the worst, right in the, right in the backdrop of Waikiki and paradise is hell. A new drug had been introduced while I was there called ice. In the land of fire, there was ice. And it was a hybrid form of heroin and Coke. It was odorless, and it was cheap, and you could smoke it. Now we call it by other names. But dude, they were like walking zombies. The, tw- the, the TBN was 24-7. You know, they had the, and the people were in there, engineers keeping things going. And they had speakers going out the door. In that alcove of TBN all night long were heroin addicts. People die and people, they were just drawn to the sound of the gospel. And they just huddle underneath the speakers. So you didn't have to go far to minister, but Motel Street was two blocks away. Anyway, long story short. Oh, by the way, it was primarily transvestites. Anyway, that's just a, uh, yeah, it's weird people for the kids here. But uh, they needed Jesus really bad where sin abounds grace is much more abound people always say why would you go there well why wouldn't i get more god i get more god there than sunday morning church how it's impossible you're a liar no the bible says it where darkness is there's greater light i don't go out in the streets keith because i'm this wild evangelist i go out there because i'm addicted to jesus i'm an addict i'm an addict not of needles i want jesus so bad ed i mean not ed I don't go out there because I'm just, oh, I'm just so holy. Far from it. I got a few holes. Well, my other genes do. I go out there because I'm addicted to Jesus, sister. I want God's touch so much. And forgive me, I don't mean to offend you. This ain't enough. This ain't enough. Maybe it's, you know, I, when I was a partier, Natasha, I partied. A fifth of whiskey a day and not 90 proof, 151. $300 day happened on Coke when I was 15. I wanted it all. So I don't, don't try to give, don't, I don't like, you know, sipping, I don't know, go me, hallelujah, let's go home. Oh, jack me up, man, I want Jesus. I want more of him. So that's what causes me, Wayne, to go out because I want to see his glory. I don't want it in theology, philosophy, in, 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 in ideology. I want to see it. And the only way to see it is to go to a grave and say, Lazarus, come forth. The only way to see it is to go into a leper colony and say, go tell the priest what I've done for you. Testify. Show them your healing. It's the only way to get it. I tell you, the last 20 years, people have bragged about being addicted to Jesus and drunk in Christ. <laughs> I've met very many, few addicts in Christ, actually, that are really addicted. <laughs> I've seen, they're, they're, they're social Christians. They only drink on the weekends. Oh, I'm getting you mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I want addicts. I want Jesus freaks. I want people that want all of God. And when I was an addict, I'd go anywhere. I'd risk my life. I'd go, in, man, I, really. I'd go in all black neighborhoods. I'd go in all Chinese neighborhoods, Chinatown, Seattle. Hi-ya! You know, I didn't care. I wanted a fix. Well, I want Jesus. 
I want all of him. And that's why overseas they have so much of Jesus because they realize, they, they comprehend that, that principle that in darkness or where sin abounds, God's power comes. If you really want Jesus, you got to get out there on the razor's edge, whatever that may mean to you. And you'll see God move. Unbelievable. Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. Give me a Baptist, Pentecostal something. <laughs> Come on, Ed. Hallelujah. Angela's temple was dedicated on January 1st, 1923. I'm going to just uh, whet your appetite because I believe this is a type and shadow, this church of things like this. The church held 5,300 people, was filled to capacity three times a day, seven days a week. What were they doing? What grew out of a desire to have a base of operation to preach the gospel quickly evolved into a revival center for the entire city of L.A supporting and sending out missionaries around the world, providing commissary and community services that was more reliable than the city's own relief programs. The church is where people went. Wow. They provided hot meals for more than 1.5 million people during the Great Depression. My God. In San Diego, California, the National Guard was brought in to control a crowd over 30,000 people. Amy evangelized when segregation was rampant in the South. Often she'd go to black parts of town and hold meetings after the regular conference. Once at Angela's Temple, the Ku Klux Klan were in attendance to protest. But after the service, many of their hoods and robes were found thrown on the ground in nearby Echo Park. She is also credited with helping many of the Hispanic ministries in L.A. and even a great gypsy following after the wife of a gypsy chief and the chief himself had been healed in a Denver revival meeting, Amy once was quoted saying, you don't need to be an orator. What God wants is plain people with the good news in their hearts who are willing to go and tell it to others. The love of winning souls for Jesus sets a fire burning in one's soul. Soul winning is the most important thing in the world. All I have is on the altar for the Lord, and while I have my life and strength, I will put my whole being into carrying out the Great Commission. Amy, simple, McPherson. Oh, I just got a big shot of Jesus. Can I just, can I just sit here in this high for a minute? Because I just got a big shot of the Lord. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is, that's Jesus. Well, how do we accomplish that, folks? How do we... Be a woman in the 20s. Can you imagine a woman preacher? You have a woman preacher. Now you still have problems. Imagine back then. Her hunger for souls. Her witty invention. She'd come up with the wildest ways to get people. She'd ride a Harley. Amy something. You've read Gentles of God, right? Robert Schlander, etc. She'd go out there at Harley Davidson and roll up, you know, a woman in a flowing dress. I don't know. Maybe she sat sideways on the Harley. I don't know how she wrote it. People would come and she'd start preaching Jesus and she reached the world and now it's called the Foursquare Church. It's known around the world. Foursquare means balance in the Old Testament. Uh, discipleship, evangelism, missions, and something else, I don't remember. Foursquare. But you know how we accomplish that, folks? This is, here's, the, here's my punchline. Get witty inventions. Bill Wilson in New York has the largest sidewalk Sunday school. I heard he gives those things away. You can get one for your city. A trailer with all the, all the bells and whistles. Well, I just need someone with a vision. Just someone say, I'll do it. I want to do it. I want to go out and make sure every kid in this community got something for Jesus. And another says, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And boy, all of a sudden, success is determined by eight feet, eight miles. Success is determined by simply a vision to do something for God. I met a couple in Nashville, Tennessee. Looks a lot like this couple here. Same age, same attire. It was you. I figured it was. What did you do? <laughs> Here's the test. <laughs> you know, every weekend, they'd go into a bridge in Nashville and up to upwards to 200 people would come. It was more successful than most churches and they'd feed them. All week long, she'd be cooking soup. It'd take her four or five days to prepare for Saturday. And they'd go out, and 200 people called them mom and dad. 
they reached more people than most churches combined in one weekend because they had a vision. Jesus was something real. It was tangible. They just said, I'm going to do this. And they did it. Let me read this other quote to you and then give you a scripture. This is one of my favorite stories ever. A little, little paragraph here. D.L. Moody. You've heard of D.L. Moody? One of my favorites. This is one of the fun. This is profound. In the spring of 1857, D.L. Moody began to minister in the welfare, the welfare of the sailors in Chicago's port. So D.L. Moody went to the lowest of the low. Watch this. William Reynolds, who was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, this is what he wrote. He recalled a few years later, the first meeting I ever saw D.L. Moody at was a little old shanty that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Mr. Moody had got the place to hold meetings in at night. So this place wasn't even fit to drink beer. Now, I don't know. I've drank drank beer in a lot of weird places. So it's hard for me to imagine a place not fit to drink beer. But this was one of them. Only in Chicago. Mr. Moody had got the place to hold meetings there at night. I went there a little later, and the first thing I saw was a man standing up with a few tallow candles around him holding a Negro boy and trying to read to him the story of the prodigal son and great many words he could not even pronounce, D.L. Moody. And he had to skip over them. I thought to myself, this is what the reporter said about D.L. Moody. I thought to myself, if there is ever a man that cannot be used by God, it is D.L. Moody. He was so inadequate, so uneducated, so unspiritual. And yet, D.L. Moody Institute stands today. One of the greatest works of our generation for the Lord. You know what it took? It took one person to say, I'm going to do something for Jesus. Christianity is more than Sunday mornings, not cheating on my wife, not drinking beer. It's living for the Lord and doing something for humanity. And someday they might write, write about you in a book. I love the movie Troy. It's not a good movie for kids, but Brad Pitt, Troy. There's this one part in the movie where this little boy says, looks up at Troy, or looks up at Achilles, Achilles, the great warrior. He says, aren't you afraid? I would be. Achilles looks down and says, that's why nobody will remember your name. You might think I'm crazy. You might think what I'm saying is just silly. I'm a little hyper. All those drugs are got, got you. But they'll remember my name. I promise you. It might be bad. <laughs> it might be good. Google me sometime and you'll see. But I'll tell you what. They'll remember my name because I will rather risk and fail than not risk at all. Just do something for God. I'll never forget Wayne Flowers. Boy, that guy's crazy, dude. We, we pulled up to the corner. I, didn't, I forgot what the corner was. I thought there'd be nobody there. Oops, <laughs> miscalculation. There's a lot of people there. Now, I'm not afraid, but I am, I am um, thoughtful. I don't want to just roll up and, hey, you know, you're going to think I'm one time. That means police. <laughs> but the moment that man gets out of the car, oh, Mr. Flowers, what do you got for us today? I'm telling you, when the harvest knows you by first name, you know the Lord of the harvest. Let me say that again. When the harvest knows you by first name, you know the Lord of the harvest. I have no doubt, brother, someday you'll hear the words. Come on in. I recognize you. They knew this guy. They get up off their seats and leave their card game and walk to him. It ain't him they're walking to, folks. No offense, brother. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That impresses me. Matter of fact, that convicts me. That provokes me to good works and love. That makes me want to be just like D.L. Moody. (laughs) Jesus. Everybody okay? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Wow, wow. Let me give you one quick scripture that's just profound. I want to just give you, there's a few revelations that God's given me this year that are going to be included in my next book called The Macedonian Call. And I have a friend of mine named Daniel Scaff. I'd love to get Daniel here. Keith. Uh, Daniel is, um, Rick Joyner just gave him a key to an apartment. He can come to Morningstar anytime, any, any moment. The reason Rick loves Daniel is because one time during a conference, he didn't even know who Daniel was. 
But Daniel's a legend overseas. I mean, just a living legend. He's ministered Corey Tim Boom. He smuggled Bibles with Brother Andrew. But during a conference, there was a Middle Eastern man. He, he does any, any front page news of a Middle Eastern pastor that's incarcerated, Daniel Scaff has a hand in getting him released. It's International Humanitarian Aid is his website. But Rick is so impressed by his work. Two articles. If you get the Morningstar Journal, you've already read about Daniel. Do you guys get the Morningstar Journal? Yeah? You do? Yeah. Well, they wrote about Daniel twice last year about his harrowing adventures in the mission field. But uh, I, I, wanna, I, I think he needs to come here. You would love Daniel. He wears this black leather vest that says Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a little loud. If you take him to a restaurant, it's a little embarrassing. It, it really is. It's a little discomforting when you take Daniel to a restaurant. Well, hallelujah. God bless you, ma'am. Do you know Jesus loves you? Dude, you know the most embarrassed I've ever been in my life is with Todd Bentley back in the 90s. I brought Todd to Anchorage. You couldn't even get 10 people to come to Todd's meeting, but we've been friends forever. And I remember we went to a restaurant, and Todd starts to pound his head on the, on the table. I'm like, dude, are you out of your flipping mind, bro? What are you doing? He said, God told me there'd be a price for the anointing. <laughs> well, I hope it ain't that one. You know, I mean, these Jesus freaks are a trip, man. You've got to get around them more. Because it's contagious and it makes you want to do something for God despite losing your reputation. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I don't even know why I brought that up, but I had a point, but I totally lost it. But Daniel Scaff needs to come here. You would love Daniel. He's got this big gold key from Rick Joyner. He got an apartment there. He's, uh, he's a knight of Malta now. Anyway, I'll blah, blah, blah. He's really, Dan, Rick just loves him. But his bringing, it's, and so does George Parrott. It's bringing, see, something's shifting in the body of Christ now. All Morningstar was really known about for years was just prophetic and worship and warfare. I'm telling you, there's more money. I can tell you this from a personal one-on-one -on -one with Rick. There's more money being put into harvest now. There's a shift. There's a shift like you can never believe. I believe the most important book Rick ever wrote was The Harvest. That book is profound. You should read it 10 more times. But there's a shift right now. We just need to get in tune with it. I think we already are because it's all hands on deck now. And success will be determined by a few feet of where you're putting in your effort, your energy, and your time. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm rambling. I'm a rambling man. <laughs> Let me share a quick scripture with you real fast. Luke 7. You'll just love this. This is I'm giving you a peek into my book because I've got these incredible revelations God's given me the last year that are just so hot that I don't have in, not enough time to tell you them all. I wouldn't put you through all that. But I want to share you maybe a five-minute one, three-minute one. Let me show you this real quick. Luke chapter 7. I want to show you the dynamic of the lost and why we have to have them in our midst. Years ago, back in 97, I think, I was with Bobby Connor in Springfield, Oregon. It was like 20 years ago, man. And I'll never forget there was this. We were having a nominal conference. It was okay. Attendance, attendance was okay. You know, it was just, it was okay. It was prophetic calm. It was okay. Well, one night, a group of ladies came in there in the back. A little bit bigger church, not, not too much, but they were in the back. And you couldn't really tell who they were, kind of shadowed. And I found out they were a women's battered shelter. And someone had the audacity to invite them. And there they were. Well, the night before, I'd asked the pastor to fill the baptismal. I didn't realize it took 24 hours to fill. But I said, can you fill the baptismal? Well, it'll take till tomorrow. So the next day, it was filled. And I didn't know why. Well, boy, those ladies came in and it, changed, it tipped the balances. Something happened with their presence that we couldn't accomplish all weekend. Isn't that weird? We had high caliber prophecy. We had worship off the charts. You know, great. But there was something, a component was missing and we just couldn't figure it out. We weren't having real breakthrough. It was good, but no breakthrough. Well, all of a sudden, these ladies show up. Well, they're not, they're not speakers. They don't prophesy. There's no, what, I, I, what, what gives? Maybe we'll help them, you know, take an offering or something. Well, we opened up the baptismal, just announced it. And all of a sudden, all those ladies come forward. Some of them were already saved. Some of them weren't. They all got saved. They all went to the baptismal. Well, what followed was for the next 30 days, my weekend was extended to 30 days, over 350 people. Elijah List wrote about it back then. 350 people the next month got baptized. We had meetings every night for 30 days. This is a trip. Bobby didn't do it. 
I didn't do it. Worship team didn't do it. Pastor didn't. What happened? What, what missing component? What, what caused this explosion to take moderation into excess? To take nominal impact into maximum impact? What happened? Let me show it to you. I'm going to show it to you. Luke chapter 7. Real quick. Oh, boy. Hallelujah. Anyone happy? Praise God. What a pleasure that you're here. Did I tell you, was I exaggerate when I said this was a place that was free? Wow, dude. Anywhere you can walk around with a staff like Moses, you are free, bro. <laughs> but that was so prophetic. You know what you were doing? Remember, he said, uh, speak to the rock. First he struck it, then he spoke to it. Man, you were, your prayers were bringing water. My God, you were, you were bringing life into this land. Jesus mighty name we need you far more than you need us let me tell you that right now I'm gonna prove it right here okay here it is whoa okay what was the component what what turned a week into a month what brought us into revival that it got garnered headline news what happened then one of the Pharisees watch this Luke chapter 8 verse 16 one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come eat with him. Now, let me just, this little disclaimer. If a Pharisee ever asks you to come eat with him, don't be flattered. There's an agenda. <laughs> so if a Pharisee ever asked you, hey, dude, I just, come on, let's come eat with me. Put on your armor because <laughs> you're in dangerous territory because <laughs> they're only, they're trying to set you up. You know what I mean? So here it is. Watch this. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. <laughs> Brought out the good china. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. You know the story. You watch this. Okay, so here's the setting here. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. You can use your imagination of what kind of sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house. Now, my first question is how'd she know? She has no connection with these guys. Interesting. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisees, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, I know most of you have heard sermons on this. That was priceless. I'll let you use your, your imagination how she bought it. But this was her most valuable item. She probably was going to use it for money, making money, whatever. She brings it, and she now this account doesn't say the whole story. If you read in another account, it says that she went and she... The Greek word is to shatter in shivers. It means into thousands of pieces. She didn't come in and just go, crack. This chick walks into a Pharisee's house. That she got in unscathed is beyond me. But not only does she do that, she gets all the attention. She lifts this glass. That <laughs> Every eye's on her. They're in shock. And then she goes even further to start to wash his feet with her tears. This is just audacious. They go on to say, if you read it, they go, if he was really a prophet. Oh, that was a dumb move. They thought within them, if he was really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman. Well, then he read their mind and said, well, let me tell you something. Whoa. But that's not my point. I want to, I want to show you a component here that's we're missing right now. If you want breakthrough, we got to get this component into the mix like a scientist trying to create a bomb. If we just get the right components, we get an explosion. Here it is. And she stood at his feet behind him. Get the picture. She's not in, we always visualized her in front. No, she's behind him. Interesting. Now that word stand before him or behind him is the Greek word for to be sat in the balances. She was putting herself, her life in Jesus' hands. If she did not get his nod of approval, this was a death warrant. These sharks called Pharisees were going to eat her up and stone her. So here it is. She's in the balances. She's put her whole life in Jesus' hands. And it says she began to wet his feet with her tears. Now, I don't, you've seen the Passion movie? You remember when the blood dropped to the ground? Remember how they slowed the frames? And you saw the sand. I mean, I just, I, I'd rewind it and just watch it again, watch it again. That's what I visualize when I see her tears, Keith. This, this woman is 
crying so profusely, it's wetting his dirty feet with washing. So that's happening. Now watch this. This is so profound. The Greek word, Wayne, for wet, the moment the tears of the sinner touched the feet of Jesus, a key component of the kingdom is released. Boom, boom, every tear, boom. There, if you could have been in the banishes of heaven, friend, you would have been watching a Disneyland fireworks show. Every tear, boom, boom. Well, what is the deal here? What, what's, what gives? The Greek word there is a double-edged sword. This is, this is like a third of my book, this teaching. Because we're missing this in the church right now. And if, if the church, like a scientist, could get this missing component, we'd have revival in every city. Easy. The word first is called bronte. B-R-O-T-A-Y. Bronte. It's a Greek word. It's found in James 5, 18. It's the same word. Watch this. In James 5, 18, it says, you are men of like passions as Elijah. When Elijah prayed, it rained on the earth. When he did not pray, when he prayed, it, was, it stopped raining. In other words, the same word, wet with tears, the sinner's tears, is the same word Bronte found when the prophet prays for rain in the drought. The reason we don't have, we have drought, spiritual drought right now, because we don't got the Bronte. We got to get sinners at the feet of Jesus. This ain't nothing about a charity and evangelism, friend. This is about releasing the dichotomy of God. We got to get this power. Bronte. It's the same word for the prophet Elijah praying for rain to come after three and a half years of drought. That's stunning. So God has put a component. He's put this spiritual DNA inside the cry of the sinner. When a sinner goes, Jesus, power's released. See, I believe God did that as a safety feature because if he wouldn't have done that, we would have left them behind. We would have, oh, let's get on to heaven, man. We don't, this is too much work. Let's just get to heaven and love Jesus and praise the Lord. He's put a component in them that we can't do it without them. We cannot have God's power without the Bronte. Oh, this is for, I'm going a little deep here. This is for some thoughtful biblical theologians here. You want to know what the other side of the sword means? It's found 13, 14 times in the book of Revelation. The tears of the sinner is found 14 times in the book of Revelation. Anyone interested in what it is? Every time in the book of Revelation that you see the word thunder from his throne and lightning, it's the same exact word in the Greek as the tears of the prostitute falling on Jesus' feet. In other words, every time a soul cries out to God, I thought, you know, I always, I'm going to just tell you, I always thought it was me that did that. Didn't you, Natasha? Come on, be, be truthful. I always thought the heavens thundered because Chad prophesied. Nope, didn't work. <laughs> Should I try it again? No. I thought it was something that I did. Well, perhaps. But from that scripture, it was the cries of the sinner that unlock the kingdom of God and releases the thunder of the Lord. Bronte. And Braco, B-R-E-H-K-O. Bronte and Braco is the missing components that we're missing now. So you know what that would tell me? As if I was like an Einstein or a guy trying to invent the light bulb. Boy, I'd be running out there getting as many sinners as I could into my facility because it's going to release power. This has nothing to do with, oh, I did a good work for the Lord and I'm evangelizing. I'm a madman for God's power. I want to see it unleashed. I want to see the, the peals of thunder from heaven. I want to see the rain come in a dry and thirsty land. And God has put a missing component to release that in the cries of the sinners returning to Jesus. Now this leads me with one final thought. I finally realize why there's more joy in heaven when a soul gets saved. 
See, I always just thought that was just, oh, it's just cool. A soul gets saved. Woo! All of heaven realizes this dynamic. It has nothing to do really with, oh, I received Jesus in my heart. Amen. Heaven realizes the power that's released when they come to the Lord. That's why there's more joy in the presence of the angels. More joy. Say that. Just think about it. Say it or think it. More joy. There's joy, but then there's more joy when one soul comes to Christ because it releases the rain on the earth. It releases the, it releases the Zoe life. It releases the glory of God. It opens the heavens. So I finally say this, folks. If you're really, really, really interested in God's glory, if you really want God's power, if you really want the kingdom of heaven to come down, and it would behoove you to find the missing piece. Boy, if you really take this serious, you'll be shocked how many seats are filled next week in this church. Because you guys will be on street corners with signs, Providence, worship, <laughs> come on. We want God's power because we love Jesus and we love God's glory. And you're going to, man, there's something happens when the sinners start coming in. I always thought that was neat when they did, and it always made the, the service better. But I had no clue of the power of God. Every time it says thunder in the book of Revelation is a result of one sinner turning to Jesus. That is shocking. That is unreal. So you know what? All hands on deck. Let's go. Oh, I know another Hebrew word, remember? Let's go bust a move. No, that's not Hebrew. That's, jeez, uh, I, oh, I need to go back to the drawing board. Let's get out there. That's the key, Keith. That's why I have power in my ministry. That's why people still are interested. It certainly ain't me. It's that I, I'm just this mad scientist with wild hair. I'm <laughs> like a movie, a mad scientist. I just found the missing link, Keith. That's all. We've already got this link. We got this down. This is beautiful. We love Jesus, worship, prayer. There are components of God's kingdom that are, that are uh, irrevocable, irreplaceable. We got to have them, Natasha. We got to. That was, one of the, that was one of the most unique services I've been in this year, actually. The fire of God, crying out for God's fire. But you've got to understand when that, what that fire means. That fire is a trip. That fire is not casual. That fire is not hypnotic like a spa getting your nails done. The fire of God, dude, is electrifying. <laughs> Ed likes this. My buddy Ed's smiling like a, like a bird. The fire of God is... It hurts part of you too, doesn't it, brother? If you've got any dross, oh, the fire, you know, this fire. If you've got any, you know, it's going to burn, man. <laughs> but it burns good. And it purifies us and, and it gets us going. Praise God. You know, I want to say that I'm done. I'm done. Amen. Braco, Bronte, bring the fire, Lord. But, you know, I want to say this, Keith. I want to say this publicly. And not because I'm looking to fill an itinerary. Actually, I'm canceling things right now. So much to do. So many Macedonian calls right now. So many people, especially up in North and South Dakota. Oh, that's just crazy. And then Alaska's opened up again. It's just you know, when you go to Alaska, you can't go for three days. You know, you got to go for five, six, seven. But you know what? I want to commit, as the Lord leads, I'd come here once a month, not to do a bunch of meetings, to help you. Just to be your, just to be a little spark plug. To go out in the streets with you. To, 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 to be, you know, just to help. That's building the kingdom, right? That's what full-time ministry is about, right? To equip the saints for work and service. I want to commit to you. You know, if, you know, it, it would, it, of course, gas, money, etc., whatever, but God do all that. I, I want to come. I want to come, man. What I saw happen on Saturday is just awesome. I believe there's, there's 5,000 hidden. Remember, Elijah said, we're all alone and no one left that loves the Lord. Or it's on fire. He said, no, remember, Wayne, you said it. You pointed that out. No, there's, I believe there's a whole new crop in Jessup and adjacent cities that are ready to, I mean, not just sinners either. I'm talking about people on fire that are 
speaking in tongues, carrying Moses' staff. You know, they're just ready to rock, man. You know, they're ready. And we just got to go out and find them. We just got to go knock and, and seek and search. So I want to just propose that, pray about it. Uh, I'm willing to come. I'm willing to rearrange things to come, actually, and uh, help and prophesy and preach this message and come alongside of you. I think it was for such a time as this. I think everything we've done before was just a, was just rehearsal. I think our friendship and, and our connection here in Jessup was for this time. That's what I think. And for God to move and get people saved and all the other stuff that comes with it. Amen? Amen. Let me look around, make sure I'm missing nobody. You know, I did have a word for him, your son. When you walked in front of me, I saw a real athlete. There's something in sports that if you'd put your heart to, you'd, you'd excel to a great degree. You really would. I don't know. I could trying to figure it out. I thought, is it running, Lord? Look at those legs. Man, he just walks like a deer, you know. You know, I saw, when I ministered with Deion Sanders years ago, I was with Bill Hammond and Deion Sanders in Orlando. What a combination, huh? Deion Sanders, Bill Hammond. How's that work? But Deion Sanders, the, you know, sh- prime time. One of the greatest NFL guys you've ever seen. When he walked in the room, you knew why he was an athlete. He just walked in like this. He just said, God, amen. <laughs> As an ex-criminal, I always thought, man, if I could be like him, I'd never get caught by the cops, man. You know, why I wish I looked like that guy. But when you walked, I know I'm being all funny, and I'm taking taking the, the, the seriousness out of this, but when he walked in front of me, I saw the same kind of anointing. I know it sounds weird, but like I saw in Deion Sanders. I did. Just this natural gift for something athletics. Now, some would say, well, that's not that important. Well, it probably isn't compared to uh, scholastics and Christianity. But someone that excels in athletics, even on a high school level, college, it's an incredible arena, not only to help with your education, to keep you clean and on track, but it's a great platform to share Jesus. It's incredible to say, well, we did this state championship because God. You've watched the movies, huh? facing the giants, etc. So whatever that anointing I saw in him, I just pray that, first of all, whatever you think, whatever you desire to do, is probably something that's already in you. I don't know. Whatever sport it is, just think about it. And then as parents, man, plug him into some camp. You know, I wish. I'm a pretty good basketball player. At 44, I can still win. I'm pretty good. I can only imagine if I would have had a dad, which I didn't, would have stuck me in a camp, a basketball camp. Oh, man. Instead of prison, I would have been in college. You know? So find a camp, whatever he likes. If, if, if this is true, if this proves to be true, find, get him in a good camp. Spend a few hundred dollars. Get him with some, because there's camps that come through for like with pro guys that will come. And you'll take a moderate gift and make it boom. And God will use him in some arena like that. So, wow. And I saw something on your little kid there too, this middle one. I saw a missionary. I really did. Now, when I say mission, I don't just mean uh, you, you come up, you, it evokes all kinds of thoughts. But I really saw a missionary. I thought of like Jim Elliott and other, I just thought of missionaries, you know, just classic missionaries. But most missionaries, if you read about them, they weren't like just, I'm just going to go for Jesus. They were usually college grads, professors. They were smart. They were doctors or nurses that went overseas with their skill set and used it for God. And that's the kind of missionary I saw in him, that he's going to take whatever skill he's got in his life, that he, his career, what his ambitions are, what he excels in, Whatever, maybe I already mentioned, I don't know. But he's going to take that and use it for the Lord in, in a missionary work in his lifetime. And it's going to have a dramatic impact and help people that are sick and are dying for the Lord. So, wow, that's cool, dude. I wish I had glasses like him. I always wish I had glasses. It makes you look real smart. I, I should just buy glasses that have no lenses so everyone think I was smart. Anyways, that's really stupid. Praise God. Well, thank you, Lord. Thank. Oh, I had a word for Pharaoh, too, actually. You know, brother, I really see an anointing coming on you. You, you kind of alluded to it last night when you said, I think everything like business, and you'll use a you'll use business model or a business uh, you'll, you'll, verbiage. You'll use that to describe things in the spirit. Well, if you think about it, that's what Joseph did in the Bible. That's what other, these people that were responsible for reformation for God doing in famine, like Joseph, and they were very bright people. They had to use that to be able to interpret the dream, etc. But when I saw you, I saw God anointing you in a greater measure. 
in an industrious, innovative way to reach the city for Jesus. I saw him giving you real, I mean, just far beyond just let's go feed the poor. I, just something really ambitious and industrious that will have a lasting effect that can change the fabric of the city and, and of the people and, and how to implement that. A lot of people get visions. I do all the time, huge visions, but I have no idea how to put them into reality. And I believe that's the anointing that God has already given you, but it's going to come in a greater degree now because of the time, because of the timing of the Lord and because of the harvest that's ready and the people that are ready and, and their open hearts. You know, I love the comment that you made that the, uh, your wife made that the person that called you to go visit the people that needed Jesus wasn't even a Christian. People out there are getting hungry for God. They're searching. And we have to be able to maximize our efforts, be able to um, execute our plans and visions quickly. We can't just say, oh, in two years we'll do this. Dude, in two years you'll lose the market. In two years you lose the produce. You lose the opportunity. So I just see an anointing that God has given Pharaoh to implement, to execute the vision, to come up with a way to make it happen quickly and, and, and ideas and witty invention. The word witty invention means cunning. It doesn't mean invent the wheel or invent a computer. It means cunning. God's given you ideas that are cutting edge to cause things to happen. So Lord, just, re, just increase that on him because God knows we need bridge builders right now. We need to be able to, to, to bridge the gap between us and the world out there. And we need engineers, spiritual engineers that can cause that to happen. In World War II, man, they would, all of our roads now, I-5, I-10, most of our major freeways are because we were in time of war. We were still on dirt roads, man. And, but industrious people began to build quickly because of the crisis can I say that out loud for the recording? This is for the CD. Industrious people began to build quickly because of the crisis. That's the anointing that's on Pharaoh, and that's the anointing that's on us, to build quickly because of the crisis. We've got to do this. We've got to do it quick. So, Father, thank you for that anointing, and uh, increase it. Write these things down. God's going to give you plans, man. I mean, just boom. And they may even seem really simple, but... Flip the switch. There's a light bulb. One guy just had a plan. There's a light bulb, you know? So thank you, Father. And Father, thank you for this family that came. It ain't the last we're going to see of them. We need the laborers, don't we? We need the people that are already out there that are productive and fruitful and doing God's work. And they need us. They need us to pull the wagons around them and, and pray for them and offer them a safe place to come worship like they did. God, was awesome, dude. To come as someone that hardly anyone else, some of them know you, but don't even know these folks. And you've created, you. I, I so admire this place more. I've really, I, I'm not saying I didn't admire. Something's changed in my perspective of this place this weekend. I see what these places are really for. And it changes my perspective for many other churches across the land that are like this place. They're ready now. They're threshing floors that are now ready. And here comes Ruth. And here comes Boaz. And we're going to have a party at midnight. And the land's going to be saved. That <sighs> gave me chills, man. Praise God. Wow. So, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in their lives, Lord. Anoint them. Lord, uh, we just thank you that as long as it takes, uh, we'll help them get here. But we're praying for transportation. I'm sure they've had dozens of cars in the past but cars break down <laughs> and that costs a lot of money and so lord we just pray for a vehicle for them because we need the troops with tanks and guns and we need to equip up we need we need them around we need them to be able to do god's work so we're praying for a vehicle right now in jesus mighty name could be in someone's garage right now it could just be out there in some unknown place we're praying for a vehicle for them to do god's work and to come to church and prayer meetings and help and help 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 and to do some cooking because I've heard this dude can cook. Oh, that intrigues me. <laughs> Jesus. Lord, bless Wayne. Lord, we thank you for Wayne and the anointing on his life. Thank you for the books that he's going to write, brother. You are in full-time ministry. You already probably know that, but you really are. You're in full-time ministry. 
you've put your hand to the plow and you've not looked back and God has made you fit for the kingdom of God. And you're in this for the long run. You're not a, you're not a, a, a hundred yard dash guy. You're a, you're a marathon runner. You're the four mile, he's a four miler. That's the part in track you don't want to join. <laughs> you pray the coach don't put you on the four mile club. That's what you're on. Uh, the, I hear the Lord saying that your health, uh, the, Lord is, uh, the Lord has given you a beautiful insurance plan. Don't worry about your health. I just hear the Lord saying that. It doesn't mean that we don't eat right and exercise. But I hear the Lord saying, don't you fear. Don't you fear. I'm going to keep you healthy and vital, and, and, and you're in this for the long term. You're like a Simeon. Not yet. You're not Simeon yet, but you're like a Simeon. You'll be an old man watching God do the things he's doing. So will you. So, Father, we thank you for Simeon and Anna that have longed and waited for God to move in the way that they saw, the way they envisioned. Brace yourself. It's movie time. The curtains are parting, and this is a blockbuster. This is the showcase. God's about to do everything he showed you he was going to do, and a matter of fact, even more. In Jesus' mighty name. Wow. Praise God. Well, thanks for putting up with me. I know I'm pretty animated and different. But uh, it works. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. So, Lord, I thank you, Father. I thank you for the, for the future here. I thank you for uh, what's going to unfold and um, the visions you're going to give us, the ideas for ministry and how we can implement them, incorporate them into the body of Christ and impact this world around us. We thank you for Jessup. Jesus. Praise God. That drive-in area, uh, it's, there's an issue of blood there. I want you just to take a mental note of that. There's something over there that's really dark, not just the landscape, but something's going on over there. We've got to pray about that area of Jessup. Something, that's a gate that should, needs to be taken. That's a gate right now that's not being, it's like the, there's no watchman, so to speak. We've got to take that gate, Wayne. You've got to go over there and pray. Take some prayer warriors. Take some, blow the shofars, anoint something. <laughs> Because that's some dark stuff happening over there. There is. I'll tell you more later. I got some ideas of what's, I don't want to say it out loud. I think there's some dark stuff happening there. So we got to pray. Like trafficking, stuff like that. Something's happening over there. So it's like a gate and something's going on. And so we just got to close it. Pretty simple. So I just wanted to remember that. So Lord, thank you for Jessup and the things you're doing here, God. And thank you for transformation in Jesus' name. Thank you for patient parents and kids. Come on, who's coming up here to rescue me? Anybody? Praise God.